Welcome to the 89th episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guest, whose low-carb diet fueled her career path, Allison Hershey. If you're new to the show, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I'm the co-founder of the Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. It was a ton of fun to interview Allison about her chosen dietary preferences and overall diabetes management. I mean, we all do things differently. Cynthia was kind enough to co-host, and the three of us were all about real-life diabetes talk. Before we get started, I just have a few quick announcements. Number one, today's podcast is brought to you by Innovative Eye Care. Doctors Matt and Jennifer Brooks know the diabetes game as they have a son living with type 1 diabetes. In addition to glasses and contacts, doctors Matt and Jennifer Brooks provide medical care including treatment and management of glaucoma, macular degeneration, cataracts, red eyes, eye-related urgent care, dry eyes, eye allergies, which was why I was there, and of course, diabetes. They have a whole section of their practice dedicated to you. What they love the most, though is building relationships with their patients. They want you to feel like part of the family. I can vouch for this statement after getting my eyes tested today, and their team was phenomenal. I felt safe and well taken care of. You can learn more about their practice in the show notes, and be sure to listen to the end of this episode because they are hooking up Oklahoma Diet Peeps with a killer discount code. So stay tuned. If you're interested in getting involved or sponsoring an episode, please contact Cynthia Director of Partnerships and Development, and my co-host today, at Cynthia at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. Number two, this <laughs> is a big-time announcement, and hopefully one I don't regret, and really why this episode took a minute to launch. On a whim, I decided to sell everything and hit the road. I can work remotely anywhere in the world, so what better time to change things up? First stop, San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> you can follow my journey on all of the DDG social media links. Number three, please click on the Amazon banner at diabetesdailygrind.com before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. Number four, and finally, stay engaged. Love, like, share, and comment on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter, leave an iTunes review, and subscribe to the DDG YouTube channel. All right, enough rambling. Let's get this show on the road. Thanks for having us, Amber and Allison. Thanks for joining us today. And now, please, I've wondered this forever. How do you say your last name? It's Hershity. Hershity. Okay. Nobody ever says it right. Ugh. When my husband teaches people to say the candy bar, the letter D, Hershity. I like it, Hershity. And it's hilarious because of all the things I've admired you for and turned to you for over the years, like wondering how to say your last name, <laughs> it's like kind of top my list too. So. I didn't know it was Cynthia Selt till I listened to one of the podcasts here. So yeah, well, Selt or Selt. So oh yeah, and we always say Selt like the Celtics. Yeah, nobody ever either. So okay, try um, having the last name Cluer, C L O U R. That's Clower. There's Cloud. There's all oh, kinds. Yeah. So I feel you girls on that. Too funny. So Amber asked, because I kind of connected us all, and Amber asked if I would just take a couple of minutes and, you know, I was telling her all about you and stuff. And she said, well, why don't you kind of introduce her just to, you know, get us all up to speed and everything. And so she read your bio and I've been reading your bio and I said, well, she's done a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so the whole mission that Amber has with Diabetes Daily Grind is just to share stories of people living with diabetes, share different management options, and just kind of share tools and resources and everything that's out there. So, you know, people can have a broad perspective of how to help manage and live life to their best with diabetes. And, you know, Allison, you offer a really different perspective on that. One that I know that it's helped me a ton. It helped me through diabetes in general, but and we'll talk a little bit about that later in pregnancy and stuff. So I just asked Allison to come on and just kind of talk us through like, what is this grit stuff? And what is this? And it's especially interesting too, right now, because, you know, this pillar kind of that everybody looks up to in the diabetes community, the ADA, like now with the new CEO and her coming out and talking about this. So anyways, we'll jump into all that. But Allison has a whole list of stuff under her belt, but she is a board certified RN and then certified diabetes educator, which is now, I had to write it down, which is now She's diabetes care and education <laughs> specialist. Right. So just in case we all didn't know, but that title has shifted. Allison was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at 18 months of age. 
we walk us through um, the 18 months? I can't imagine that you remember much of that, but you know, what your diagnosis story looks like. So we lived in South Carolina at the time and it was July. So it was super hot outside and I was thirsty. And you know, the typical story, the kids drinking all the time. I'm drinking and begging for juice, which my mom gives me because you know, I'm thirsty. And then I got so thirsty. I was drinking my bath water. So she takes me to the doctor and they said, Oh no, it's, it's just hot outside. Well, her sister had been type one. So she brought that up and they said, no, 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 she's too young. We don't see type one this young. This was 1981. So I guess I know we see it a lot younger now, but um, at the time they said, we've never had a patient that young with type one. She's just hot. And then the next day I was vomiting and they said, Oh, it's the stomach flu. Give her Gatorade. (laughs) Oh gosh. So uh, drinking the Gatorade. And the day after that I was in a coma. So my mother brings me into the pediatrician and his partner, the partner of the one that I had been seeing, starts cursing, grabs me in his arms and runs me across the street to the hospital. And my blood sugar is higher than a thousand at that point. So that's when the diagnosis happened. And I was in a coma for a couple of days, I'm told. And yes, I don't remember any of it, thankfully. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, bless your heart. And um, I'm glad that somebody finally realized yeah. what was going on. And, you know, I was diagnosed in 1984, so... It was, you know, I can't imagine. I mean, it's a totally different world now. Yeah. How long did you stay in the hospital? I'm honestly not sure. I, I think at least a week, if not two weeks. Yeah. That's great. And I, I was over here just diagnosed, you know, at 19 at a frat party. <laughs> totally opposite end of the <laughs> oh, spectrum. Yeah. And so in a, part of Allison's story too, in her bio, she mentions, you know, being frustrated with diabetes and management, despite doing everything right, you know, for 29 years, she was frustrated until she kind of stumbled in or found this new way of management. And that's how I felt too. And that's why I've always, whether Allison's known or not, I've always very connected to her because I felt the same thing. I was, you know, diagnosed and I thought I did all the things right. And I ate my half a peanut butter sandwich, a glass of milk before bed. Yes! So I wouldn't go lay and wake up at 500. And you just think, what am I doing? And I was treating my blood sugar with the graham crackers and, you know, all of these things. Oh, this is just mirroring. Yeah. 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 And I still hold a little bit. And I was diagnosed, I guess, 24 years ago. So not quite as long, but I still hold a little bit. And I was at the top, like top, top, top of the notch diabetes center yeah. in the country when I was diagnosed by one of the top endocrinologists who worked on even like developing Humalog and this is still wow. what management was. And of course I gained, you know, as a night general, I gained all this weight and I was so frustrated and oh. I stayed that frustrated just like you said for years. Anyways, Allison, yeah, share more about how you stumbled into this. What is this grit thing that we hear about and sometimes people scoff at? <laughs> I want to throw in one thing really quick, just because I'm curious, since it was so long ago when you were diagnosed, did they just start you on NPH and regular? I was on porcine insulin initially, and yeah, I developed an allergy to it. Luckily for me, regular insulin came out, human insulin, in 1981, so right around the same time, same time the meter came out. I mean, I was very blessed to be born when I was, so I was started on regular and NPH. I was on regular and NPH most of my childhood until my teens when I was put on ultra lente. And Humalog, and then I started pumping in 2000. Okay, so I was curious about the, you know, you being compliant and doing everything that was asked of you, like if your regimen had changed and what that I mean, there was a big period during my teens where I was absolutely not compliant. (laughs) (laughs) I was the worst diabetic ever. Uh, I think my A1C was 14 when I was 14. Well, there's a goal, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that was me. I, I had, mine was in the teens for years, for years, cause nothing worked. And I thought, well, this is stupid. Why am I trying if I'm just going to not win? And I just want to be normal and I want to be like everybody else. And I tell people when I was 19, I went an entire year without checking my blood sugar. I was injecting basil and that was it. I was living on rice and ramen noodles and partying and drinking. And I'm very, very lucky. Everybody has had a story. Most of us have a story like that. (laughs) No judgment and no blame, no shame. You know, we just wanted to be a, a normal college kid and that can be difficult yeah. <laughs> with diabetes. So, yeah. so, so when you flipped the switch on all this. 2010. It's really funny. A friend of mine, a fellow type one, he says, you got to go look at this guy's website. And this was Steve Cook, Steve Diabetes Warrior. He said, this guy's claiming you can reverse diabetes with a low carb diet. And oh man, I was so angry and livid. And this guy is trying to claim you can cure diabetes. Well. I messaged the guy. Oh, my phone is ringing. Maybe that's him. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. 
And um, he quickly corrected to say type two, that a lot of people can reverse type two with a low carb diet, but it's also helpful with, with type one. You know, I kind of blew him off and then I, I started thinking about it more and more and it made sense. Well, we don't process carbohydrates. We don't metabolize them correctly. Why are we eating them? But I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to give up my bread and my sugar and all the things because, you know, I've been on this strict, you know, exchange diet most of my childhood. And right. I got in the pump and they said, you can eat whatever you want, just bolus for it. So that was like being let out of prison, you know. I can eat a candy bar if I want. I can eat, I mean, I tell people I ate Skittles every day or M&Ms when I was pregnant because I could eat whatever I wanted. And for the most part, I mean, I improved, definitely. I improved on the pump. But A1C was always, you know, six, seven, eight range. And I got it down when I was pregnant. I got it down in the fives, but that was with a lot of insulin and a lot of low blood sugars. Can I ask you one quick question on that with the pump therapy? When they say you can eat anything you want, do you think that's the right message? (laughs) (laughs) When you said that a minute ago, all of the hair on the back of my neck stood up. So the issue is that insulin that we have nowadays, even with the ultra rapid, with the Fiesp, it's not as rapid as the insulin that the body makes. Sure. And anyone who has a Dexcom can see a post-meal spike. Yeah. The big thing is what we call a spike, because back in the day, I would call 200 a spike. Right. Now I call 120 a spike. So it's a big difference. Yeah. So I'm messaging with Steve, and I decided to give it a go, because I am, at that time, 210 pounds at my heaviest weight in my life. I am on 15 different prescription medications at the age of 30. I'm on blood pressure medicine, and I'm hypertensive. I had I was on cholesterol medicine. I was on sleeping pills, antidepressants. I mean, you name it. I was on everything. And I was just at a low point. And I said, I have to do something. So I implemented it the day after my 30th birthday on January the 4th, 2010. And what up Capricorn? (laughs) January 7. (laughs) Sorry, that was inappropriate. (laughs) Over 10 months, I lost 55 pounds and came off all those medications except for insulin. And I cut that insulin in half. Wow. So that was the big turning point. Um, what were your endocrinologists saying during this period of time? I mean, they're supporting you in your efforts to change. You know, I, I had a pretty, we say grit friendly endocrinologist at the time. He was, you know, cheering me on, but everything changed when I got pregnant. I quickly became pregnant after losing all that weight. <laughs> My husband was deployed to Iraq. He came home a month later. I was pregnant. And <laughs> so this friendly endo turned immediately when I was pregnant. He's like, no, you can't do this. This was, this is going to hurt the baby. Baby needs carbs to grow. Baby needs carbs to develop. Hmm. And I ended up firing the endo. I should say we mutually fired each other in the middle of my pregnancy because he Hmm. was just completely not on board. And I have not seen an endocrinologist since, and it has been nine years now. <laughs> so do you have a good GP that supports yeah. you? Like, I yeah. see uh, two different nurse practitioners. I see one for general and diabetes. And I see the other for thyroid and hormones, and they are both functional medicine and on board. Thank goodness. Yeah, and that's who I finally found too. I started seeing a functional medicine physician maybe nine, 10 years ago. And of all the big diabetes centers I had ever embarked on, like this helped me the most was looking at diet and all of these things. Well, and of course finding you guys. But so my question was when you, this is 2010, you started this, what were you following when you switched on that January date? Was it the Dr. Bernstein's book? I had not found Bernstein yet. Basically, um, Steve had just recommended, you know, less than 30 grams a day. It was the same ideas. So I cut out grain, sugar, starch, and fruit, mm. except for berries. I still eat berries. And uh, Why did you decide berries were still okay? Because <laughs> they're just okay. They're amazing. They're high in fiber, and yeah. like blackberries are lower, strawberries are lower in carbs. Antioxidants, all kinds of stuff, yeah. Okay, keep uh, So I've lost all this weight, and I've come off these medications, but my A1C still wasn't quite where I wanted it. I was still hanging between six and eight. I think I'd gotten it into the fives at one point, but it was still very difficult for me. And I had heard about Dr. Bernstein, but I hadn't really read the book. I thought, well, I'm following Dr. Bernstein because I eat low carb. And I had no idea it's not just low carb. It's a whole set of protocols of of insulin dosing and timing and just 
all kinds of different things. Uh, bolusing for protein. None of us were taught to bolus for protein. Nope. That's not something even endos have heard of. CDEs have not heard of it. So that was a biggie for me. Um, and why do we need to do that? Because I noticed it too, but why? So a lot of people think it's due to gluconeogenesis, which is the body turning other things other than carbohydrates into glucose, protein, fat, um, just your liver making glucose. But that's actually not why we see that spike. We see the spike because in a normal healthy person, when they eat uh, protein and it's broken down into amino acids, you get a glucagon response and you get an insulin response and they cancel each other out. But with a diabetic with a type one who's not making adequate insulin, you're going to get that glucagon response, but you're not getting the insulin response. So you're going to spike post-meal. Most of us didn't notice that when we were eating high carb. And I think that's probably because it kind of all got lost in the mix. Mm -hmm. It was getting covered along with the carbs or we were running higher than we do now. So we didn't really notice. But for me, it happens about two to three hours after a meal. I just start seeing a slow incline. And I know I just, I need to cover it at that point. Yeah. So you're bolusing later after like a heavy protein meal. Right. I'll bolus the carbs during the meal and then I'll bolus again a couple hours later for the protein. A lot of people are using the regular insulin for this Yeah, with beautiful results. I just, I have not been able to pull it off myself. I can't get the timing right. Everybody says R is slow, but I'm dropping at the one hour mark. Oh, wow. And then I see that spike later. So I just never got it to work. What devices are you on currently? Just my Dexcom right now. Just Dexcom. Okay. I go back and forth with the pump. The last pump I was on was the T-Slim that Cynthia got me started on. <laughs> I will always remember you for that. She let me try it out. and um, That's right. I had forgotten. I'm like, wait, how did I? Oh, yeah, that's right. I totally remembered. I, I forgot. God, and that is my favorite pump still today. But I have a lot of scar tissue from pumping for 20 years, basically. Yeah. Using my abdomen too much, letting my sights go five, seven days. I don't get as good results on the pump anymore. So I'm and one of the things too, I noticed when I started following Bernstein or whatever, and I was being super cautious and diligent with it is that the pump was almost not even needed because you use such little amount of insulin that I didn't mind taking one dose of basal a day. And then maybe I had to use half a unit here or there. And then I found a Fresa, which I really, which works for me too. But um, so now I just do like one Traceba and I'm curious about oh. the new T-Slim and stuff, but. Well, isn't it crazy? So all of us have, I mean, like the same disease, and I say this often, we all are managing it, like the devices, the insulins. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. And it's, I'm going to say unfortunate that endocrinologists, and this is not a disservice or saying anything negative, but they're all using the same formula. Yeah. And thankfully, yeah. we have figured out for ourselves what works best for us. And so I hope endocrinologists listen to this because maybe it'll give them some tips. Yeah. We're not providing medical advice or telling you how to do stuff. I will say that Allison does have a couple of degrees. <laughs> she can talk legit about, you know, the diabetes side of things. So. I, and I, got say, I do this or this worked for me or you might yeah. consider rather than saying you should do this. Right. Unless you're one of my clients with the doctor's order. <laughs> <laughs> and see what you just said there is really important because, okay, so. And I told Amber wasn't really as familiar with the type one grit stuff. And I said, you know, it's a pretty strong community and you mentioned it. People either like, go, Oh my God, those people or people are like a hundred percent on board with it kind of thing. Right. And so I thought, well, I think Allison would be, just be a really great person to have on about this. Cause I think she'll kind of have like a well-rounded approach to try and like not shove it down people's throats, but like, really? how? and so my question, how, I try really hard not to. <laughs> right. Right. And so how, like, and I know a few people that I've introduced to the community when I was kind of more active in it and stuff, like they tried it and they made it, they felt like they said one wrong comment and then they're like kind of outsiders already like, oh my God, I used too many blueberries and I got in trouble kind of thing. So how do you kind of deal with all of that, but then gently guide people to use this approach maybe or give it a try? Well, in the group, yeah, berries are not cool. I tell people, please don't post about things that are, that are not group friendly. I'm not saying they don't work. I'm not saying it won't work for you. Obviously, berries are not growth friendly and I eat them. So there's, Bernstein doesn't like pumping and we have a lot of people pumping. We have two, three admins pumping. So I, I just say don't talk about it in the group if yeah. it's not growth friendly. But um, obviously you do what works for you. Well, I want to shift and yes, you got to do what's right for you. And I encourage people to experiment because 
you don't know what's going to work for you. You know, maybe you still tell your GP or your endo, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, or I just want to keep you, you know, so your medical community knows kind of what you're up to. But I want to shift into, because we hear so often, and Cynthia's been a huge advocate for the fact that, you know, I was told when I was diagnosed 37 years ago that it's not a good idea for me to have children. Not only did you, you have three, right? Yes. So yeah, when I was diagnosed, they said that, uh, no, she should never have children. If she does, they will probably be deformed. They will be huge. She will probably spend months in the hospital. Yeah. Um, you know, and still magnolias. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. that oh, be yep. <laughs> What's my vein? So I get into my twenties and I'm pumping and, you know, I'm told at this point type ones can have a healthy baby, which I did. My first two were standard American diet pumping, um, lots of insulin, lots of lows, but they were healthy. No complications at all. They were both taken around 38 weeks, which is uh, the standard protocol for the most part for type 1s. And that's one of my huge pet peeves. By the time I got to number three, I was low carb. And it was just completely different. It was like night and day, the the pregnancy. It was so much easier because Mm. I wasn't, you know, taking 30 units for a McDonald's meal. Because that's what I was doing before, you know, because you get down to those really insulin resistant one to three or one to two insulin to carb ratio. So if you're yeah. eating hundred grams of carbs, that's a pretty big dose and yeah. there's a lot of room for error. I had a super scary event when I was 28 weeks on my second where I had McDonald's for breakfast and I had it down. So it was 30, 30 grams for lunch and I'm trying to remember, no, no, hundred grams for lunch and 70 grams for breakfast. And I mixed up the two doses. hundred grams of carbs. That's a, that's a Mc- standard McDonald's combo is 100 grams of carbs Jeez, with a Diet Coke. <laughs> right. Wow. What's, the, what's the standard recommendation for carbs? Isn't it something like 90 per meal or something? I was always taught 45 to 60. 45 to 60. 45 right. to 60 and then 15 to 30 gram snacks twice a day. Maybe that's where I got 90. I just know it was a buttload. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it's insane. So yeah, this pregnancy was just so much easier. I found a doctor who, uh, a maternal fetal medicine doctor who let me, he said I could go to 41 weeks if I wanted to, because I was such anti-control. Um, I went to 40 because they scared me and said, oh, baby's going to be bigger than 10 pounds. Ooh. And he was eight pounds, 12 ounces. Uh-huh. And he was 21 and a half inches long. So he wasn't just a, you know, big fat baby. He was big. <laughs> I'm five, nine, the smallest person in my family. My brother is pushing seven feet tall. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I was going to have big babies. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they scared me. So we went to 40. Everything was great. He was actually a, a VBAC after two cesareans, which is another one of my big, big things. Is That's huge. Propose, uh, wow. I know the VBAC because diabetics always end up so often with cesareans. Because they make us go early. Okay, for people who may not be familiar with those terms, and I am, but why don't you explain a difference between the two? A vaginal birth after two cesareans was what I had. Um, My first two very rare. Very, very rare. First one was breech. Second one, they said, I can just tell by looking at you that you can't deliver naturally. He literally says this to me. (laughs) Well, that's another podcast. Yes, yes. (laughs) Talk to your patient. And so thank goodness that, I don't know if you caught this in the notes, but Allison is currently writing a book yes. on type 1 diabetes and pregnancy, which, yay, because Allison was one of the first people I turned to in my most recent pregnancy with Madeline, because I was eating low carb, and I thought, well, can I still do this? Because what you hear is that you can't do that. And I didn't uh, want to- You were one of the poster children. Oh, yeah. It, it was the same story. Like, I had such phenomenal control, and they're just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, this is amazing. And I even asked about, you know, going on the auto mode pump, and they're like, you are not going to get flat lines. I mean, every day I go in, my blood sugar, I do my delivery of her. Um, and so I was told to, I was going to have a cesarean. She came super, super early, like two months early and oh, wow. 12 hours before they were going to take her. The MFM doctor looks at me and says, Oh yeah, she's so healthy. Your blood sugar is so good. We think you should push her out. And my husband and I looked at each other and we went, we did not read that chapter of the book. Like we have no idea how to push a baby out. But anyways, everything was fine. But my favorite picture is like, I have a screen capture of my CGM graph for like the three hours of like the delivery time. 
my spike when I pushed her out was 97, was as high as my blood sugar got through the whole, like pushing that kid out, like most stressful situation ever. Right. And so I'm just so proud of that. Like just flat line, this little tiny curve right when she came out and everything flattens out. But yeah, so I turned out my big bragging things too, because I remember there was this really snotty nurse at the time and she's like, Oh, he's going to have hypoglycemia and we're going to have to put you on an insulin drip. And I was giving the insulin drip. No, I'm going to keep my pump. I'm going to keep my CGM. My doctor said I could. Well, we're going to keep it right here just in case. And And you're like, sister, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have diabetes. Come on. I I was down to 70. I was 70 when I was pushing, but doctor was fine with it. And yeah, it was fine. I was the first type one diabetic at this huge hospital here to not be on an insulin drip. In it, through delivery because I refused it too. I said, no, I will manage my own stuff because I know what you people do. <laughs> this is scary. And, and usually the L&D nurses don't get type 1s. I was the first type 1 they had ever had. Oh, okay. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. God. Okay, so now, tell, so, okay, you're getting healthy yeah. and all this stuff, and then now all of a sudden you're an RN and this is what you do for a living. So how did all that come about? It's kind of like a Bernstein story. He wanted to tell his yeah. story, so he had to go get his MD. That's basically exactly what I did. <laughs> I kind of skipped over the whole grit thing. 2014, I met Artie Deitman and Derek Rollerson in the Dr. Bernstein group, and we started chatting, and they pulled me into a group chat with Debbie Wright Terrio, and we've been chatting every day for the past six years since then. Wow. We, um, we decided to make this group because we were getting, you know, stomped on in the, the mainstream groups. I mean, people mm-hmm. were awful i mean this the vitriol the the hatred we were getting the booting people. you guys got booted every time you oh, try yeah. to say anything about low carb one man. of those forums a lady called cps on rd it oh it my gosh horrible so we like we said we need our own group of people who are doing this so we made the group in april of 2014 and it is just keep growing it's been growing since i think we're at 25,000 plus followers now so that's awesome we have a grit army now Give us the lowdown. Give me like three highlights of what the grit army, like what does that look like? People from ages zero up to probably 90. We're all following Dr. Bernstein's protocols of less than 30 grams of carbs a day, following the insulin protocols. We have a a Pinterest board, pinterest.com slash type one grit. And you can go look at the graphs, the A1Cs, and you wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't have believed it Mm -mm. prior to this, but you're getting these flatline graphs and you would think, nah, that's just a good day. They're posting a good day. And for the most part, this is what we see. Now, obviously, nobody's perfect. Obviously, we're going to have bad days. I have bad days. I have bad weeks, yeah. <laughs> um, especially during this quarantine. It's been a big struggle. But my bad days are a good day, how they were, you know, back in the day. So yeah. why do you think there was such pushback on this? Like, I don't understand, like, why people, you know, the medical community would be frustrated with the fact that, we want to eat low carb. Can you speak to that at all? I think there's a big misconception that carbohydrates are required, you know, for your brain function, for kidneys, oh. liver, they, your heart. They think that low carb is going to damage all these things. Um, there's this a lot of myths like a high protein diet is going to damage your kidneys. And I have a stack of studies showing that it doesn't. I would love for you to send those to me because I'll include them in the show notes because yeah. that's what I was going to see if there was any scientific research behind the fact. And the fearful mentality maybe of the endocrinologist yeah. as to why they wouldn't push that. Like, is there... You know, and then there's the fear of saturated fat. There's also a bundle of studies showing there's no association between saturated fat and heart disease. And at the same time, Bernstein is not keto. That's a big misconception. Um, if this is not a ketogenic diet. Right. It's not high fat. It's low carb, high protein. So we've got the fear that it's going to cause heart disease. We've got the fear that it's going to cause kidney damage. And we have the misconception that carbohydrates are needed. And with little kids, uh, well, they need carbs to grow. They're, you're going to stunt their growth, which is a huge mess. Cynthia, I don't know if you've seen Artie's son, Dave. I think he's like six foot one at this point, and he's 16, I think. Yeah, he used to be such a little kid. He's beautiful. <laughs> kid I know. Now. I mean. Well, and I just think about, and so like all these, you know, medical fears of physical things, but I think a lot of it is the mental as far as people with diabetes we don't want to be told that we can't have something. It's like, well, yeah, I can still the have biggest whatever thing. I want. And my thing is always like, okay, well, if you get diagnosed with like lactose intolerance or a peanut allergy, uh-huh. you don't go to the doctor and they say, oh, you have a peanut allergy. 
continue to eat peanuts, but here's an EpiPen, a, chase, a chaser. That's not the way, you know, and the, the acceptance factor is, you know, our body just doesn't process carbohydrates. And it's just, I think that's a lot of the pushback just from a yeah. mental, personal standpoint that people are like, well, I just, I want to be able to go have I want to be able to eat what I want to eat. And it doesn't even take like a week of just trying out the method to know that you feel a lot better. And for me, my brain doesn't function when it's carb overloaded. I'm cloudy. I'm fine. And, and then a lot of people say, well, I can't live. And so I'm always like, just look at the book because even if you don't decide to follow the diet to a T, I did not know that one gram of carbohydrate raised my blood sugar five to seven points. You know, once I knew that I was like, no wonder why half a peanut butter sandwich is <laughs> not the way to 15 treat. 15 grams of carbs would send me to 200. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. so much good information out there outside of like loving or hating the book. I think it's just yeah, good uh, diabetes information from frozen shoulder sure. to dosing. I mean, and we have substitutions for everything. You can have your, <gasps> you can have your cupcakes and your ice cream and everything It's going to take a bit more work. That's what I wanted to plug you for that when you just meant. So you, I think you do the Pinterest page, right? Yeah. Okay. That thing, Amber, if you have not checked that out or anybody listening, Okay, so we always joke, you know, people say, oh my gosh, if I could just eat a cheesecake and just not see my blood sugar spike, you can seriously make yourself a cheesecake and your blood sugar does not budge. I mean, I'm not condoning eating cheesecake every day, but there is literally <laughs> a recipe. Awesome. You can make Swedish fish. You can make... I will definitely uh, check that out and we'll put it in the show notes. It, made yeah. it is so good. Somebody today on a mainstream board was just asking for, hey, where's all the low carb recipes? And I refer to that board all the time because seriously, you can make, I mean, you need to equip your kitchen with a lot of cream cheese and a lot of cheese, but it's, it's And I, I get a lot of the, well, I can't do that. I'm lactose intolerant. I can't do that. I have an egg allergy. So I have boards for it's on vegetarian, there. for vegan, for lactose, dairy free, egg free, nut free. You name it. I have a board for it. I have kosher. I have it's so well done. Oh my gosh. Cynthia, my wheels are turning from our conversation earlier. <gasps> you know what I'm saying? We'll hit you up, Allison, later. I'm not going to say this on the podcast that I've got a lot of ideas. <laughs> I've yeah, got no a lot point. of ideas right now. It's just such a good, it's so, and, and the part that I mostly took away from Bernstein too is, okay, yeah, you feel really great when you're following it all. But then it doesn't mean you, like, okay, so if you wander off and have a slice of pizza, you're going to feel so crappy that you're going to realize, at least you know why you feel crappy, why your blood sugar did that. And then you're going to reevaluate whether you want ever want to do that again. <laughs> well, and I just had a conversation with my nephew who's in town, who's nine years old and he had just eaten a little thing of ice cream and my mom was making homemade ice cream. And we were talking about that. And he's always asked me questions about diabetes and I'm going to have a series, I think coming out about what kids ask, you know, you about diabetes. But I, I was explaining to him that when you eat a high carb, whether you have diabetes or not, you don't feel good yeah. or you act crazy or then you fall asleep. Yep. You know, your body's kind of shutting down. And so I'm kind of pressing him as we, we don't evil, yeah. you know? So, yeah. And maybe with Tracy D Brown, you know, I recently interviewed her. She's the CEO of the American diabetes association okay. and her comment. It's the first time, you know, good on her for saying I'm a low carb person. And oh, I know. We, we are, we are just so thrilled with Tracy. Someone's finally making change. People complain, oh, well, they haven't changed this and they haven't changed this, but there is change and change is slow. And just the fact that she's promoting it. Yeah. I thought a lot about that too in your story, Allison. Like right now in our world, we're talking so much about, you know, advocating for change and then doing something about it. And you are like the poster child for wanting to see change and doing something about it. I mean, you jumped right in there and got all these certifications and are helping people with. Oh yeah, I totally um, skipped that question. <laughs> So, I don't yeah, remember after starting after starting grit. I decided, you know, oh yeah, why, why are people just going to listen to some girl on the internet? Which there are plenty of people who do, and they have people listening to them. But I wanted those credentials behind my name. I thought, you know, yeah. I'm going to have more power to get this message across. So yeah. I went back to school. I was in my 30s, and I started with my associate's degree RN, and then I just started working as a nurse. Continued on with my BSN. Got my thousand hours of diabetes education. It's crazy. Um, like you didn't already have those thousand hours. Let's not go. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. so how do you think this can continue to reach and become more mainstream? Because it works. <laughs> I think, you know, word of mouth is the biggest, because we have social media, I can reach so many more people than I would possibly otherwise, you know, we have every country except for China and Russia because they're not allowed Facebook, but crazy. I can talk to a girl in Syria or a guy in Israel or yeah. 
you know, all these different countries that I wouldn't be able to reach otherwise. So, I mean, I think word of mouth is going to be the way to do it. More and more doctors are hearing about it. We're getting more and more supportive endocrinologists. I mean, there's still few and far between, but there are more of them coming, showing up. So, And doesn't it just make you sad when you see in like the groups, like just people that are 500 all day and all day. And well, oh, I was going to mention this too. This is just another thank you for, so when I was 19 diagnosed, right away, I gained a whole bunch of weight and fell into diabulimia within three weeks because I wasn't stupid. I'm like, well, if insulin is making me fat, (laughs) then not taking it will make me thin. So for 17 years, I struggled really bad with eating disorder and diabulimia. And I'm very open about that. But when I found Dr. Bernstein, it's one of the ways that helped me overcome that because so the whole thing with diabetes is you want to eat as many carbs as possible to get your blood sugar up as much as possible. So you spill as many ketones to lose the pounds. And so when I started doing this immediately, if I decided I was going to go eat a pan of brownies, well, a pan of low carb, zero carb brownies isn't going to do anything for your right. blood sugar. So here I was now I ate all this stuff. I didn't have to make any dosing decisions. My blood sugar didn't budge, but I just ate 2000 calories. And I felt full and I finally retrained my body to know what full felt like, which with an eating disorder, you don't know what full or hungry feels like. Your signals are all mixed up. And there was no dosing decisions with that way of eating because part of the diabetes game is, should I take one unit or two units or no units? Dr. Bernstein's way is I almost needed no units ever. So it really took all the mental, like diabetes distress away from me. And I think that's one of the biggest keys to this that's a really good point. The eating disorders are associated with diabetes, and we all think it's due to diet, but the thing is when you're high, you're peeing out all those nutrients needed to make neurotransmitters in your brain. Yeah. So that's a big part of the diabulimia. Any any uh, eating disorder is those neurotransmitters are off, and when you're not eating or whatever different thing you're doing, you're getting that surge of neurotransmitters in your brain. Like a person, an anorexic fasting feels good when they're fasting. Right. And that's why they do it. So low carb helps a lot with that. Once you're normalizing the blood sugars, you know, the depression is coming down. The anxiety is coming down. Yeah. And oh, the decision fatigue went away for me. That's I, what it was I personally too. have binge eating tendencies and kind of played with diabulimia. I, I wouldn't say I went to that extent, but I dropped eight pounds two days before my wedding by wow. insulin. So I'd be skinny yeah. in my wedding dress. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Allison, do you recognize someone who may be, I'm going to say suffering, I don't know the correct terminology, somebody that's struggling with diabulimia. If you recognize, what do you say to them? What I just said, honestly, that normalizing my blood sugars changed all that. I was able to lose the weight, keep my weight down by doing low carb. And then I didn't, you know, struggle as much with me with the binging. Um, I still occasionally have flare ups and I've been on medication for it for years, which I'm recently stopped, but, um, it makes such a huge difference. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing I would tell them. And Hey, thank you for sharing that. That's hard. And I'm, I'm honestly not a mental health professional. Yeah. Well, and one of the biggest things with eating disorders, you know, in the healing process and therapy, the focus is to take the focus away from food. Well, with diabetes and eating disorder, you can't do that because the focus is always food. But if at least the food if the focus is food that is not going to really raise your blood sugar, it just makes it so much easier. And I know it's not a recommended way of treating it because you're supposed to normalize healthy eating habits. And so even when I was looking into treatment and going to centers, they wouldn't allow for low carb. Oh yeah. I think that's really unfortunate. That's yeah. I thought it was like one of the most simple solutions and I started suggesting it and I was like, same thing, like food, get out, (laughs) your post is taken down. And the hospital is the worst place. I mean, the retirement centers, they're all the same. It's all high carb and, you know. So why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Because it's cheap? Because it's easy? What? Both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to say, I'm not plugging them, and they're just an Oklahoma City-based group, and it's called I2U Culinary Solutions. And one of the things that I love about them is they have created healthy meals for the hospital community. Oh, wow. And, he, you know, the founders is, a, you know, a main chef and a CDE and all these other things. And, and the CDE, he had even lost you know, hundred pounds because he was pre-diabetic at age like 20 something. Uh-huh. So I want to see, and I hope that their model really becomes, uh, at least in the United States, because it's that just crazy. crazy. Yeah. See, I think addition to being cheap and easy, you know, they're going by established guidelines. Yeah. You know? How do we change the those whole, guidelines? The whole food pyramid, the basis should be grains. 
60% of your diet should be carbohydrate, something like that. You know, mm-hmm. low in saturated fat. They taught us this in nursing school. A diabetic diet is going to be low in fat because there's a risk of heart disease. And it's got to be low in protein because there's a risk of kidney disease. So what's left? You know, that macronutrient that we don't process. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is, as soon as I started doing it, my kidney disease vanished, my retinopathy vanished, all of those things normalized as yeah. soon as I got, because when you get rid of those high blood sugars and things get normalized. <laughs> I was able to reverse um, the beginnings of gastroparesis, and I think it was probably more than the beginnings of gastroparesis. I think I probably had full-blown gastroparesis. Definite vagus nerve damage. I, I would run a, a pulse of 120 resting always. What's it supposed to be? 60 to 100, Uh usually 70 or 80, but I was always running fast, 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 and it wouldn't change. And that's one of the hallmark things of diabetic vagus nerve damage on an EKG. It's just going to look the same, exactly the same, like a mirror pattern of their EKG pattern. And that's how Dr. Bernstein tests for gastroparesis. He does something called an RR interval study where the, from R to R peaks on the EKG, if they're not changing when the person breathes deeply, because when you take a deep breath and hold it, it should change your heart rhythm. And in a person with vagus nerve damage, it's not going to change. And that was me. So I was able to reverse that after it was years of low carb, years of normalized blood sugar, but it is possible yeah. to reverse. And that's what I tell people. I reversed, I had a spot of retinopathy, which went away. So many things. We've seen people reverse neuropathy. We've seen, you know, Dr. Bernstein reversed his stage three kidney disease. Yep. So all this and stuff see, is possible. And in that book, like that's where I learned about like I have really severe gastroparesis and that's one of the first ways I went in after reading that about gastro and I went in demanding the RR interval study. It's not something they normally do. And they looked at me like, who are you? Like, why would you know this? You know? And it was actually when I found that functional medicine practice here, I think I even posted a picture in the group. She had Bernstein's book in her office and it was like, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Before I was even a patient there, like I walked inside of the bookshelf. I'm like, this is the place for me. But yeah, there's just really, a, there's just so much good information in there outside of just the recipes and just, not just, but I mean, there's just good diabetes info in there. And his story is cool too. I mean. For sure. Well, and let me ask you, going back to your children really quick, are you going to participate in TrialNet? I have. We participated in TrialNet for years and I got a letter last year saying that since they had tested negative every year for so many years that they weren't going to test them anymore, which really disappointed me because huh. <laughs> it's like a good thing if you're like, you don't know it's going to, you know, not going to happen. So yeah, I would rather be preventing if we can. So yeah, that was, that was a big disappointment, but. And do your kids follow the same diet? They do not. My daughter currently is, she's 15 and she was just starting to show pre-diabetic. Her insulin was high and her fasting blood sugar was at 99. So I'm like, we need to do this. My husband's currently on board, but my younger two are not. And we're discussing getting the whole family on it just because it would be easier. Yeah. yeah. But my youngest is so, and I know this is not an excuse because I tell people this every day. <laughs> He's so thin. So we're going to really have to work on getting calories in him if we yeah. put him low carb. Just He's 60 pounds and he's four foot eight, I think. He's just a rail. <laughs> wow. So... I'm glad you asked that, Amber. I was going to ask her that too, because we're just starting, Madeline just turned two and I just have started waving around trial net because I don't know if, you know, one result, it, neither way the, the results come can guarantee you anything. So I don't know yeah. if it'll make my mind. And it was better. so anxiety provoking every year. It was like <gasps> holding my yeah. breath until the letter came. So the first two were actually in the trigger study. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It was a study to find out if kids who were genetically predisposed to type one would become type one because of dairy. And if they used, Mm. um, they used Nutramigen, which was the formula that had hydrolyzed protein because they thought it was the milk protein, you know, that could start the type one. So my kids were not genetically predisposed. They did not have the genes, but they were kicked out of the study. Thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) So we don't know about the last one. That's interesting. That's so interesting. I keep Madeline off dairy just for that reason. Oh, really? Yeah. She hasn't touched it because I don't do dairy. I waited waited until, I can't even remember, a year or two. Yeah. It's just always made me nervous because the correlation, I know I'm super triggered by it. And I just think back in, you know, the ear infections, the eczema, all those things I had when I was a little kid. I just wonder if that played a part into diagnosis too. I don't know, but it's just. You know, honestly, I think there's 25 different triggers. 
Yeah. Because we, we had a member of, they were, she was one of the members of this original group when we first started, and she had a child who was type 1, and when her second came along, she had a natural delivery. She exclusively breastfed. She kept the kid grain-free and dairy-free and didn't vaccinate and did every possible thing that you hear, you know, that could cause type 1. Mm-hmm. She did all those things, and that child was still diagnosed type 1. Yeah. So I think there are different triggers for different people. And that's definitely coming out more in the medical community that it's not just because I have no family history. So yeah, we all have our conspiracy theories as to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and some of them it's even, you know, it's in the literature. Like when I started looking when it was time to vaccinate her and stuff and I start reading stuff. I mean, when it says right there may cause type one diabetes and as a mom with type one, you're like, <gasps> you know, put on the brakes and whoa, you know, what do I do here? And you just, yeah, you just don't know. I'd be curious. And I don't want to say what vaccinations that I'll be, I've never heard that, that a vaccination could I've heard the suggestion, but I did not, I never heard that it was actually listed in the site. Yeah, it's in one of the PIs I read for sure, at least one. I should find it and see, but. Yeah, I'd be curious. And Cynthia, I'd love to read that because that blows my mind. Yeah. Um, Absolutely blows my mind. Well, we have. go to my vaccine group and ask. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have to wrap things up, but I I really feel, Allison, like we have, like I said, my wheels are turning. I know Cynthia's are too. So we'll be reaching out to you about a number of things. But when will your book about. (laughs) I keep starting and stopping and starting and stopping. Um, I am about three quarters finished with it. I am up to the very last, I think the last four weeks of pregnancy in the book. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to do, you know, postpartum breastfeeding, all that. Um, I'm trying to cover every single aspect. I've been moderating pregnancy and diabetes groups for many, many years, more than a decade. And I keep seeing the same questions over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And these questions doctors aren't addressing or they're wrong. They're, They're, you know, for instance, one of the big ones, insulin needs dropping around 35, 36 weeks. I see that happening over and over and over and over in the type one mom community. And for the most part, it's normal. And in a small percentage, it can be a sign of placental failure. But that is what all the doctors, they freak out. Your placenta is failing. We need to induce right now, or we need an emergency cesarean only based on decreased insulin needs. And there are ways to test the health of placenta without just jumping to an early induction. So that's one of the big things. That's why I had Madeline early. I was also hardly using any insulin and I mean, they, I was in antepartum for like five weeks laying there and they figured there was other things going on too, but yeah, yeah. that's how my first indication, I was like, what the I've heck? I've so many times and I, I, I just tried, that's one of my huge pet peeves. I try to pound it into the ground, you know, they can check it on the ultrasound. They can check the blood flow with Doppler. They can check for calcifications on the ultrasound. They can check your blood for human placental lactogen, which is the hormone that causes insulin resistance in pregnancy. So if you have a big drop in that hormone, then yes, that could indicate your placenta is failing. But so many, it's no, we have to go in right now. This is an emergency. Your baby could die. And who? I didn't know that wasn't the norm. It's their baby. You know, they scare you with the dead baby card. So you're not going to trust your child. God. I thought that's all that meant, Allison. I had no idea that it was a misconception because that's what I had learned with yeah. needs drop. And I think I've even been guilty of saying that to people, like, make sure you watch it, you know, because that's just what I... It does happen. It can happen. So you check, you yeah. monitor the baby, you know, you monitor the placenta, but it's not always the case. Yeah. That's what I try that's to... That's good to know. And I, I would say I, I've seen it 90, 95% of them, the moms, the type one moms I've encountered. Wow. So, it's more than norm than not. That's crazy. I did not know that. But yeah, I'm trying to touch all these subjects that you just don't read about. We have a couple really, really good diabetes and pregnancy books out there right now, but I'm just, I'm trying to touch on the topics that I haven't found anywhere else. Good. And then, of course, a low-carb focus because there's so many misconceptions about that as well. I'm taking notes as we're talking. What are the books that you lead on Facebook? What are they called? Positive Go Type 1 Diabetic Pregnancies and Grip Pregnancies. Okay. If you'll send us all of these links, they will absolutely be included in the show notes. Well, Allison, thank you so much for taking time. And um, I've learned so much today. It's unreal. Me too. I always like hearing about these things from somebody who gets it because, yeah, I mean, we know, unfortunately, the medical community is not up to date with everything because they can't. And I have to end with who's beeping right now. That's what I was about to ask. Oh, it's me. It's always in the She's, she's got, is she, uh, let me see if I was going to look at my blood sugar. Well. Amber, <laughs> Amber makes fun of my range. She's like, oh, it's probably Cynthia because her range is, uh. 
<laughs> I'm at 107 right now. Where are you, Cynthia? This is not a judgment call. Let me just say no, that. I but probably 90s. just beeped at panic mode. Uh, 96. Oh, I'm the high. That's why I beeped at 121. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can see it. And 121. That's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. That is such a flat line. Nice. <laughs> and see, and she's not just bragging today. Like, that is seriously the norm for this. I was so skeptical. I'm like, this is a bunch of BS. It's never going to work. And within, like, a day, it's like, whoa, this works. <laughs> Well, um, thank you, ladies, both of you. And uh, yeah, thanks, Allison. There's thank a lot of resources here, and we'll be sure to follow up with you, Allison. I've you definitely, um, especially when your book comes out and things like yeah. that. Good luck with all of that. You're providing an incredible resource. Okay. All right. Congratulations on the move. Okay. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank right. you. It brings me great joy to connect with people who share my level of honesty about life with diabetes. Allison's journey will hopefully inspire T1D women who are interested in having a family. That wasn't my interest, but I love the way that she talks so openly and honestly about her pregnancies, plural. (laughs) She also offers a number of valuable diabetes resources. So please be sure to check out the show notes for more information. I'll include all the links. And before I wrap up, I have a few last minute things that will make your life brighter. Number one, Oklahoma diet peeps. Do yourself a favor and check out Innovative Eye Care. Use the discount code DAILYGRIND at checkout for 50% off your OptoMap retinal screening photos. I had them done today, and I literally now have peace of mind. The code is valid through September 30th, 2020, so get online and set up an appointment. No excuses. Number two, hit me up if you live in the San Antonio area. We might be able to meet while still social distancing, because I have a pretty sweet setup while I'm in town. And finally, please continue to leave iTunes reviews and love, like, and share all things social media. If you want to contact me directly, I can always be reached at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com and getting a message from you makes my heart happy and puts fuel in my tank. And considering I'm driving, I need some. All right, people, get in there. And all right, diet peeps, this next episode will be coming to you from San Antonio, Texas. Yeehaw! <laughs> Just kidding. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. It's a daily grind. It's a daily grind.